0: And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. God's word for God's people.
1: Amen, please pray with me, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord it guides and directs us. And Lord, <clears throat> from the beginning of the church in Antioch to the crossing, Lord, you have given us you have given us instruction on how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. Lord, your church, the crossing. We are the church of the living God. We are the pillar and the buttress of truth. And so may we be faithful to you and to your calling that you have given us in 2024 and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So, in 2009, as many of you guys know the story... A group of individuals met in my living room to plant the Crossing Church. There were nine of us. Seven of them, like I said on Friday, had to be there because they were part of my family. But we sat together and we prayed and we said, man, what what would it look like if we would plant a church together? What would it look like to dream together? To plant a church in Fort Collins that would impact not only Fort Collins, but northern Colorado and beyond. That day in 2009, nine of us in that room, as we look back at these past 14 years, we have seen the Lord open up the floodgates of grace on this body. Thousands of people have walked through those doors. Hundreds of lives have been changed for the gospel. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. Let me just ask a question here. Who started coming to the crossing in 2009, 2010? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, look at that. We Still got a little handful. How many of you came to the crossing in 2011 to 2022? Raise your hand. All right, getting better. How many started coming between 2022 and now, today? Go ahead and raise your hand. Look at that. I mean, this is a testimony of God's grace of what He's done over the years. And it's really a thumbnail sketch of the crossings roots and how we began. But where did the Christian church begin? Well, it began in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. But that was predominantly like 99% Jewish people. The first predominantly Gentile church, non-Jewish church, is found here in Acts chapter 11. The church of Antioch. This is the church that is much like us, the crossing people from every background and from all over this country that we have come together to worship Jesus. The the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11 was eight years after Acts chapter two in the first church that was planted. And what we see here is that in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, this was the first time that believers were called Christians. Christians. The disciples were first called Christians. And what we're going to see this morning is not only do we share the same name as a church in Antioch, Christians, but we also share with this church how to carry out the mission of God. The mission of God hasn't changed. How to carry out, how we are called to be missionaries and ambassadors and disciple makers hasn't changed for the past 2,000 years. And I want you guys to be encouraged because we are doing the same thing that this church has done. So let's take a look at the Church of Antioch. First, we see the Church of Antioch had a, a missionary mindset, a missionary mindset in Acts 11:19 through21. Look at verse 19. Uh, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, as you guys remember, when we went through Acts. Uh, This was a massive turning point in the Scriptures. Stephen was stoned to death because he was preaching Christ. They were in Jerusalem. And because of that, there was a great persecution that came upon the people of uh, the Jews believing in Jesus. And there was a a scatter. We had to get over the walls. The apostles stayed in, in Jerusalem, but all the people fled because people were persecuting them because they were Christians. That's what it's talking about here. And the Christians, these people, these everyday believers just scattered all over. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, that is a nor- northern Providence, way north of Jerusalem. They, they they went to Cyprus. Cyprus was a an island in the Mediterranean, kind of northwest of Jerusalem. And they made their way some 300 miles up to Antioch. And that's where they settled. They were, they were scattered. They got kicked out of their home, homeland, and that's where they settled. And we also see, when they got to these places, most of them Jews, were speaking the word to no one except for Jews. They were still very narrow-minded in who the gospel was for. And this is why the, the church in Antioch is so important, as we will see. But let me just first give you a little cultural context on the church of Antioch. It was the third major city in the world at that time, only behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a, it was a city of about 500,000 people, and it was multi-ethnic. There were people from all over the world that lived in Antioch. It was an incredible, um, uh, there was a port city, so it had incredible trade and economic power. So if, like the who's who of the business world were, were there as uh, to, to trade and to build business. It was highly, uh, idolatry was really high. There was a pantheon of religions. You can imagine this hodgepodge of people coming together. They all brought their different views on God and faith. And it was a city that was just morally depraved. Morally depraved in so many ways. It was, it was, you would go down the streets and you would see the temple prostitutes just lying in the street. So this is the background of Antioch. And guess what? At this point, in other words, this is a great place to plant a church. Amen? It's a great place for the gospel to go forward because the gospel shines brightest in its darkest areas. But then look at verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus, the, again, the Greek island, and Cyrene. Cyrene is a people from northern Africa. Think uh, Libya. That's where Cyrene is. It's Libya. It's it's about 130 miles uh, west of Benghazi. So that gives you an idea of who the people from Cyrene were, these North Africans that were also flooding and coming to Antioch. And when they got there, look what it says it did. It says, who were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Preaching the Lord Jesus. Well, who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists were the, the Gentile Greek-speaking pagans. Not Jewish people. So we see, first they just spoke to the Jewish people there, but now we see that this gospel message is going to the Gentiles, it's going to the pagans, it's going to whoever would listen to them. These men are preaching the gospel. They're engaging the culture with the gospel. This is a massive development in the Christian church and the trajectory of the Christian church this these group of men changed the whole trajectory and complexity of Christ's church because primarily again 99% of Christ's church at that time was Jewish and now the gospel is going to the nations It's fulfilling the theme the mission of acts in acts 1-8 when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem Judea, which is the providence where Jerusalem is, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We're starting to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth through these men. It's a massive transition. Prophecy being fulfilled. Now here's the thing about these guys. What are their names? What do they do for a living? We don't know. We just know where they're from. We know they're from Cyrene. We know that they're from Cyprus, we don't know who they are. They're just ordinary, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving men who are living on mission for Jesus. They're not professional Christians. They're not apostles. They're not celebrity Christians. They're just normal, everyday Christians who understand that they're in a city that needs Jesus. And they are the ambassadors. They are the ones sent there to proclaim His gospel message. So they turn the world upside down. It's incredible. Because of these faithful men, empowered by the hand of God, we are here. You're here. The gospel has gone to us, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. We are here because of the faithfulness of these men. That's where we can trace our roots back to. The beginning here. And not only that, but one day in the future, when Christ comes back and brings the new heavens and the new earth, and and we get to go and be with Him forever, there are going to be billions upon billions of men and women and children from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Why? Because of these men. Because these men understood the Gospel. It propelled them to engage their community. And they changed the world upside down. These men had a missionary mindset. And guess what? We are called to have a missionary mindset. Again, in 2009, 2010, it began with nine people. And we, we had to have this mindset or else we were going to die. We wouldn't last long. And this has been a theme. This, In fact, this is part of our, our mission statement. Like you guys have already heard, it's to leave a legacy with those who don't know Jesus. That's been since the beginning that we have a missionary mindset. Now, when, when you guys have and think of a missionary mindset, when we're calling you and me to be missionaries where we live, work, and play, sometimes you're thinking like, Aaron, aren't you getting your words mixed up? Because missionaries, those are the guys and gals that go overseas. Listen, location doesn't make you a missionary. Your identity in Jesus makes you a missionary. So wherever you are, wherever I am, we are missionaries because we've been changed by the gospel of Christ. And that's where we live. That's where we play. That's where we work. And that's where we share Jesus. That's where we engage so I want you to continue to think about it. Look what the Lord has done over these last 14 years. Again, thousands of people have come because we've had people with a missionary mindset. What if every single one of us, and I know this is our desire, had this mindset when we go to our jobs tomorrow? When we go to our classrooms or our schools tomorrow? What, what, what if this is how we approached our friends and our family? First and foremost, those that don't know Jesus, with this missionary mindset. that like We understand that They need Jesus because He is the abundant life. That's where it is. And just like someone was on mission for us and shared the Gospel with us and engaged us, now it's our turn to pass the baton. Again, these aren't celebrity Christians. They aren't the apostles. They're they're one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And the church just explodes. I've said this a number of times that you guys will have more impact on the kingdom of God than I ever will. Uh, most of the time, I, I interact with guys that already know Jesus. You guys are out with those who don't know Jesus. And church, historian, uh, ch- church historians kind of back me up. This is what one said. The primary change agent in the spread of the gospel, and the spread of faith are the men and women who earn their livelihoods in some secular manner and share their life and faith there. That's you. That's you. i got to work to get around those that don't know Jesus. You work with them. You go to school with them. You live with them. So you, me, need to carry this missional Mindset. Again, this is the foundation of the crossing, that, uh, that relational value we have here, legacy. And as we do that, think what the Lord's going to do over this next year. If each one of us just reach one more individual for Christ, what's that going to do to this church? What's that going to do to this city? What it's going to do is, verse 21 and 24, we're going to see a great number who believe and turn to the Lord. And now they become partners in the Gospel with us. We have seen this over the last 14 years at the crossing. We have seen many come to saving faith. And this past year in 2023, we had more people come to saving faith than the previous years. This is amazing. Now how much more is the Lord going to do now through all of you as we take our mission seriously? As we start to, to, to sow those Gospel seeds. The missional mindset where we live, work, and play. We need to keep it going here at the crossing. And the crossing, like Antioch, as we do this, we will continue to grow through you and me living as missionaries where we live, work, and play. Secondly, the church of Antioch had a discipleship mindset. Not only did they have a, a missionary mindset, for those that don't know Jesus, they had a discipleshipping mindset for those that do know Jesus. Look at verse 22. The reports get back to the apostles in Jerusalem about what is taking place. And the Jews and the Gentiles, right, hear the gospel. They're, they're being changed, in particular the Gentiles. It's spreading like wildfire. The church, the kind of the mother church in Jerusalem hears this. And so they're like, man, we got to verify this is good. So we're going we're to send someone to confirm that this is a good deal. And notice, they don't send an apostle. They stay in Jerusalem. Who do they send? This guy named Barnabas. They send Barnabas to confirm what is taking place. Now, why Barnabas? Why do you you not send an apostle? Why do you send Barnabas? Because Barnabas would have been the perfect fit to minister to these new individuals of the church of Antioch. As we know, Barnabas is one of the most highly regarded men in all the Bible. In fact, my personal opinion, outside of Jesus, Barnabas has the biggest heart for the people of God in all the Bible. We we first are in, uh, introduced to him in Acts chapter four, and it's an incredible characteristic of how Luke describes Barnabas. And I want you guys to read that at a time. But it, it, first, his name is not his real name is not Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. So, like, how do you get nicknames? I got I got a lot of nicknames, you know, growing up. One of them wasn't the son of encouragement, right? <laughs> You guys have nicknames. Why, how, who, why people give you certain nicknames? Because they look at your life and they say, oh, they attribute an action like, oh, Aaron, you're like this, so you're this guy. And they give you that nickname. When people sat down with Barnabas, they went away encouraged. That's why they gave him Barnabas the name of Son of Encouragement or Joseph the name Barnabas the Son of Encouragement because whenever you came in contact with him you went away encouraged. Who loves Barnabases in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. All of us. Man, I love to see some Barnabases come my way to encourage me. And others, not so much. You know what I'm saying? Luke also tells us that Look at verse 24. He was a good man. He was a good man. Why was he a good man? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's why he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's why they sent Barnabas down. If you guys remember, when Saul, who is now Paul, became a Christian. He was terrorizing the Christian community. He was the one, again, started the persecution against Stephen, and everyone was afraid to go to Saul because they were afraid like he was just kind of tricking them. They go see him and they would kill him, but not Barnabas. Barnabas was the one that stepped up and started to meet and engage Saul. This is the right guy for the job at Antioch to confirm what is going on. And not only to confirm what is going on, but to stay there and train these new disciples and to to teach them the the principles and the doctrines of God. There's a number of reasons to send him. One, because he's an encourager. Two, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and faith. But also, three, he's from this region. He's from Cyprus, actually. So he's going to know the people there in Antioch. He might have some of his boys there. He's like, "Man, great, this might be a little homecoming. I'm going to get to go see so and so and I'm going to get to share Jesus." And so he knows the culture. You see the language, the customs, the music, the dress, the food. The cultural barriers would have been much different in Antioch than in Jerusalem. So they needed to send someone that could contextualize the gospel that could share the message of the Gospel in a language, in a way that those people would hear it and understand it. Barnabas was the perfect guy for the job. So they send Barnabas. I love Acts 11. Look at verse 23. You guys should highlight this. You guys should circle this. You should meditate on this. Because Luke captures his response when he gets to Antioch. says this, he comes, and when he saw the grace of God, what was he? He was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord, the steadfast purpose. When Barnabas got there, what he saw, he was glad. Now, I want you to think about that. This is, this is a new church, not made up of Jews that have a history or a background in the Old Testament scriptures. This is a new church. Ethnically diverse, coming from all different backgrounds, all different works of life, all different religions, all different beliefs, and yet they were all united by the gospel. Barnabas comes and sees, and he sees more than it's all the good. He sees the crazy. He sees the warts of this new, immature church trying to get together. And he's like, oh yeah, we got to probably change that. Oh yeah, we got to teach on that. But that's not what he focused on right then. What he focused on, what made him glad, is that there was a work of God going through probably thousands of men and women and children in Antioch. He saw the gospel again moving outside of the ethnic group of the Jews to the whole world. And it made him glad. He saw the grace of God moving among these people. If you've been transformed by the grace of God, If you have experienced the grace of God in your life, you know what Barnabas is feeling. You know the gladness, the joy, the weight of sin being lifted on you, of Christ's Spirit coming and dwelling you. Now the reality, you're no longer a sinner, but now you're a saint because you've repented of your sins and you're trusting in the Lord. And His righteousness, as we just sang, now covers you. So when Jesus sees you, He sees His son and daughter of the faith. You know this joy if you experience the grace of God in your life. And I just want you to pause. I want you to think about how every Sunday when you come to the crossing. when you go in a life group, or journey group, or a men's group, or the ladies of the crossing, or the student ministry. Like one of the emotions that's overcome our heart is gladness, is joy. Because over the last 14 years, God has poured His grace over you and me in this church. It is everywhere around us. And just like Barnabas saw it and was glad, do you look around and see the grace of God happening here and are glad, are joyful? It's all around us. Do you guys see it? Can I give you my observation of what you guys see? I don't care what you think. I'm going to tell you anyway, so here we go. My observation is you guys get it. You guys get it majority of you are glad. You come here joyful, happy. You love to see one another. That's why so many people love to stay here. because they walk through these doors for the first time. They get overwhelmed with the love and the grace and the mercy and the joy and the gladness of you and what Christ has done for you. They feel that. It's tangible. They experience it. They walk through these doors and there's something different about you than what they feel out at work or wherever they live, work and play. Why? Why are you guys glad? Why am I glad? Why can we sing with joy? It's because those who understand the gospel, they're glad. Why? Because those who have been forgiven much love much and are glad much because they have been forgiven much. Right? Christians, when we see the the glory of God, the grace of God going forth, we rejoice. Religious people, hypocrites, Pharisees, when they see the grace of God going through people, they get angry. They get critical. Right? We're seeing this in going through Luke. We're in some very tough portions of Scripture of looking at the the Pharisees and the scribes and we see that, man, they're just nasty, angry, bitter people pointing out all the flaws of everything. And Jesus is like, stop! I'm doing a work here. People are crossing over from death to life. Rejoice! Christians rejoice and are glad because we know we've been forgiven. Legalists and hypocrites... When they see the grace of God, they get angry. So Barnabas is the right right guy. He brings joy. He brings gladness. He brings encouragement and and creates this new gospel-centered discipleship culture that he's beginning to create. And again, this is in our mission. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His people. Well, Luke shows us more detail how Barnabas goes about this. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Here we see Barnabas' humility. He looks at this, 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 this project, this calling he has. He goes, I can't do it myself. So we see Barnabas' humility. He goes, I need a co labor. I need someone else that has a, some mass gifts of teaching and discipleship. So I'm going to go look for, for Paul, for Saul to bring him along. And so he does. Why? Because what is central to planning a church and making disciples is mature men and women training others up in the Word of God. That's how the church grows. That's how the church matures. That's how the church gets discipled. When mature men and women open up the Bible together and proclaim the truths of God over one another. Listen. Studying God's Word by yourself as an individual, having quiet times, is awesome. And that's a spiritual discipline that we should all do. But what's even better than that is coming together corporately and opening the Word together and growing together and sharpening one another together. In God's economy, He's giving uh, men positions and and others the the grift of teaching to help teach and, and explain God's Word to you and to me. And there's many other reasons why corporately is so good, but let me just give you one. We get to actually see life transform transformation happen right in front of us. Like if we're studying our Bible, and then we go and we change, people don't know the reason why we're changing. But if we do that in community, and we go over certain texts and certain characteristics where you're once bitter, but now you're you're a joyful, happy man, well, what changed? Oh, you came in contact with the living God came in contact with his scriptures, they changed you. Think about Antioch right here and why Barnabas was so joyful. When they came, he would see like greedy businessmen just focused on building their own wealth. All of a sudden start to do business with character, with integrity, with the view of serving and helping others get along, not just themselves. How about the temple prostitute that would come to saving faith? Can you imagine that one? She had to be taught that she was no longer an instrument of man's lust. Now she was an instrument of God's love. That her past didn't define her anymore. That her identity in Christ defined her as valuable as worthy. This is why we study God's Word together so we can see our lives changed in a moment. And also over the long haul. That's why the God's Word is essential to everything we do here at the crossing because God's Word is powerful enough to save and to sanctify. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect. What? Reviving the soul. Saving the soul. Crossing the soul over from death to life. John 17 says, sanctify him in truth. Thy word is truth. How we grow, how we become more like Christ is we get into God's word with one another. Barnabas understood that. That's why he brought Paul. Paul understood that. And he taught. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Look at verse 26. We see these pagans, these these non-religious, immoral individuals, come to Jesus and start to exercise characteristics of godliness. And look what it says in verse 26, "...and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." What? This is like a, a new beginning, almost like a new humanity. Back then, you could basically break people up into two categories, Jews and Gentiles. Now, all of a sudden, you have this new category, Christians, because the gospel of God is strong enough to save. It also sanctifies and changes individuals' lives. And look at the language in verse 26. Look at the way, it, and then Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They didn't get the name to themselves. The outsiders gave them this name. This is almost like a nickname. In fact, the word Christian is used three times in the Bible. Twice it's used by non-believers identifying Christians. Only once in 1 Peter 4 is a Christian talking about being a Christian. So this is outsiders looking at your life and my life and being like, hey, something happened here. You've been changed. And we're going to call you Christian. Well, why are we going to call you Christian? Well... Because what Barnabas and Paul talked to him about was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. This is what John Stott said. He said, they must have taught about Christ, making sure that the converts knew both the facts and the significance of Jesus' life, death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his spirit gift, present, uh, present reign and future coming. Is it because the word Christ Was constantly on their lips that the disciples were called Christians for the first time in Antioch? And the answer is yes. The the non believing friends saw all of a sudden their friends go from discouragers to encouragers, from people that walked around bitter to, to people now walking around in gladness and joy, to new passions. To this, to them speaking all about this dude Jesus Christ, not even from their words, but it, they saw a change in their actions and their lives. They were overwhelmed with the love and grace of Jesus, and they said, "Christian, you're a you're a little Christ," is what it literally means. Think about those in your circles of influence. Is that how they would name you? Is that how they know you by? By your words and your actions? That they would see you and be like, Christian. You're a Christian, aren't you? Something different about you. When when maybe people that you know, you know, when they go through trials, do they secretly come to you and say like, man, I'm I'm struggling, I'm I'm hurting, I need, I need some wisdom. I know you're a Christian. What help me through that? We just experienced this with my daughter. Uh, she plays lacrosse in Jacksonville. And, and uh, we just had one of the parents, their their uh, daughter hurt her ankle, and she texts us, will you please pray? And this girl doesn't know Jesus, but will you guys please pray for her ankle to get healed? It, 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 the people in your circles of influence, is, is that their response to come to you because they know you're a Christian? So this discipleship mindset that was in Antioch is also here at the crossing, and we'll continue to multiply through this. Thirdly, the church at Antioch had a generous mindset, a generous mindset. Look at verses 27 through 30. Uh, There's a worldwide famine that happens. They prophesied the Holy Spirit. It comes in verse 29. So the disciples determined that everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They had a generous mindset, this young, new, immature church. What did they do when the famine, this worldwide famine came? They first not thought about themselves and storing up treasures for themselves, but they thought about others. In particular, the Jewish church, the Jerusalem church. And so here's another attribute of gospel-centered discipleship in a culture is generosity. When the gospel takes a hold of your heart, it propels us to be Generous, not only to those that don't know Jesus, but first and foremost, to those in the household of faith. Galatians 6 says this, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially, or but first, to the household of faith, to other Christians, to other believers. And here, the example is from one church to another church. I want to take us all the way back to the beginning when we first planted the crossing. We had a number of churches in our network bless the crossing financially. They saw the needs and they gave towards us. And now we are on the opposite end. Now we are on the other end. Now we get to bless other churches, other church plants. Those that that need support financially, in other ways. We get to come around them and bless them and we get to do it generously. Um, uh, part of our budget is we, we give 5%, we give a lot of money, but we give 5% specifically to um, the network for church plants in and around the world in our network, Crossway Network. So, so let, me, let, me just, let me just let you know where your generosity is going right now. It's going to Redemption Greeley church plant in Redemption Greeley, serving them. It's going to Skyline Church Plant in Denver, Colorado, helping and serving them. It's going to Wyoming and Sheridan Bible Church. It's going to Montana and to Mountain View Bozeman. And it's also going across the pond to the Czech Republic in Metro Church. Your generosity is blessing other churches that are making a difference in their cities. This is what the church does. This is what happens when you experience the grace of God. You become generous. I love what Corey Ten Boom says. She correctly stated, The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. This is a girl, this is a lady in concentration camps. That's the mindset she has. Not in duration, but what you can give away. How you can bless others with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Church to church, believer to believer, Christian to non-Christian. In all those areas we give. We've been doing that at the crossing. And the crossing like Antioch as we continue to bless others. We'll continue to bless others as we have this generous mindset. Fourth and finally... The church of Antioch had a Holy Spirit sending mindset. We didn't read this, but turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. We see this Holy Spirit sending mindset. We see in verse 1, this church is now led by a plurality uh, of men and diversity of men. Verse 2, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Sent Barnabas and Saul off. Now again, we can't underline underscore enough how important in church history was the church in Antioch. This is definitely one of the peaks. One said this, the found. The founding of Antioch Church may be the most important moment in church planning history. Antioch would send missionaries throughout the world. Under the leadership guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Antioch Church became the first great sending church. What we're reading about here is the beginning of the church taking over the world. We exist in Fort Collins, Colorado, because the church of Antioch existed. And they took the mission of God seriously. Now there's so much we could highlight here, but I just want to zoom in on this principle. Notice who they sent. They sent Barnabas and Saul. They sent their best. They sent the cream of the crop. They sent them out. And this has been a part of our culture since we began. We want to have to be a kingdom-minded church. We want to send out the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and by God's grace, He's allowed us to do that. Let me just give you some highlights of our history in us sending out our best and churches that we have planted. In our first year, you don't know this, but we actually planted a church because we wanted so much to be a church-planting church. church. There's a guy that I served with that I helped disciple, a guy named Eric Lawyer. He was coming to the crossing. He was first uh, uh, with me in, in Crossway Greeley. And we trained him up, and we sent him and his wife Marcy and his family to New Jersey to plant a church on the Jersey Shore. And they went out, and they did that. It was, it was called Remedy, but now it's called Redeemer Fellowship, Tom's River. That was in 2010. We sent our best. In 2013, we sent Gary McQuinn. Gary was one of the first pastors that I hired to help me plant the crossing. And, he, and we sent him down, I think it was around 2013, to pastor and lead Park Church in Denver. Gary and Jamie McQuinn. Man, that was a massive loss. So gifted. In 2014, we sent the Holton family with 10 other families from the Crossing Church to plant a church called Choice City Church. In 2021, we sent Brandon Dupre, that's the name that you guys know, to go be a pastor at another church here in town. How many churches are kingdom-minded to say we're going to raise up our best and we're going to send them to another church in town? How many are going to do that? 2022, we sent Chad, uh, Chad Barlow and his family to Windsor Community Church, the pastor there. That one hurt big time. 2023, we sent Justin Kelm to go be a part of a church plant down in Denver at Skyline. Over the years, the crossing has sent its best just like the church of Antioch. Why? Because we don't want to just create our own little thing here. We want the gospel to spread. And we want people, right people in right spots. And so we send them out. So when the Spirit of God says, hey, raise these families up and send them, we raise these families up and send them. And it's hard. It's difficult. Many of us have relationships with, like the, in particular, the Barlows and the Kellums, and man, that, it was bittersweet. But I love how one pastor sums it up. He said, These are gospel goodbyes. These are gospel goodbyes. Why are they gospel goodbyes? He says, Because we have all eternity to be together. And for a short time on this earth, we're going to be apart so that the kingdom of God can advance. Isn't that good? That's the perspective to have. These are gospel goodbyes. And here's the good news. The Barlows and the Kellums, they're still in our network, so we still get to see them all the time. In fact, Chad is going to be MC in our men's retreat in March. And Justin will be there, probably. But again, here's the point. Healthy churches don't just build their own kingdom. They want the, other king, they want the kingdom of God to spread, so they're, they're open-handed with the best and the cream of the crop. You guys know that we almost planted a fourth church with the Easton's and their family. With them, they had two, a couple options. But we almost send out our best just again. And that would've hurt. But we listened to what the Holy Spirit was saying to us and guiding and directing us. And the Holy Spirit said, not yet. But we, we need to keep the Easton's here. Amen, can I get an amen on that one? Amen. And their gift mix. So the Holy Spirit was moving, says, we, we got some work to do here. Yeah, we could plant a church you know, every five years, but we want to amp that up. We want to get this pipeline filled a little bit more with leaders and we have more of a better plan to come apart. We think that the Easton's Beck in particular can help us with that. So we said, let's stay here and let's build this thing out. Let's create more of this pipeline, our invest group. Now we are training men and women now to go make a difference in the kingdom. And our desire, our goal in the next 10 years is to plant three churches. That would up you look over the crossing 14 years we've been a part of three that's like one every what almost five years right give or take let's get that down to one every three years amen this 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 is what the Lord's doing here I'm excited about it so the crossing like Antioch will continue to impact our world through Holy Spirit sending mindset now just wrap up with this Everything we just talked about, about the church of Antioch, everything we just talked about, about the crossing, it only happens because the triune God is moving through us. Guiding us and directing us. Look at verse 20. It was the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that propelled the mission, right? Verse 21, it was the hand of God the Father that blessed the message and the mission of those living it out. In verses 24, 28, and 13, too, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered and directed the church. So very simply stated, what gives us assurance is this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. That's where our hope is. That's where our boasting is. It's boasting in the Lord carrying out His mission through you and through me. And this is why I'm so excited for 2024 coming up and beyond what the Lord is going to do through this church. Because the hand of God is on this church. Did you hear that? The hand of God is on this church. The Gospel of God is being proclaimed. And it is saving people and sanctifying people. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads guides, and directs this church. And that's where our hope is. That's where our excitement is. Not in our own effort, and our own ability, but what He is going to do through this body. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the church of Antioch. Lord, and we thank You that we don't have to go seek out what it looks like to be on mission for You. It's the same 2,000 years ago as it is today. That it begins with the Gospel of Jesus Christ and men, women, and children crossing over from death to life when they repent of their sins and entrust as You as their Lord and Savior. That's when we set a, a missionary mindset and now that we have been been saved. Now God puts us on the saving team to go out and be ambassadors and missionaries for you. And, and when people get saved, there's a discipleship mentality with encouragement, with joy, with faith led and guided by the Holy Spirit and gladness. And that propels us then to be generous. That propels us to grow and train one another up. And as we grow, we we want to be sensitive to the Spirit and we start listening to the Holy Spirit and He starts sending families out to, to go and plant churches. Lord, this is Your work. And we are excited to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.